Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. So... Do you ever think that maybe you need to see a couple's therapist, even if you think your relationship and sex life is good? Don't you think you deserve more? Wouldn't it be nice to have a better, stronger, more loving relationship? Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking about emergent love, sexual chemistry, sexual harmony, and how human connections lead to meaningful and fulfilling relationships. Oh yeah, this is going to be one of those shows you want to listen right to the end. But before we get going, we want to take a moment to remind you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leakproof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket, that's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket, great sex starts now it sure does and so does today's show you know we're carol and david this is the sexy lifestyle and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest we have speaker author couples therapist and researcher dr sarah nazarzadeh and she wants to create world peace one relationship at a time Mm, love that all right dr sarah welcome to the sexy lifestyle thank you for taking time out of your busy day for being here with us Thank you for having me. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background. I know you've got a major lot of things that you do. World renowned. Yes. And how you got into couples therapy. Well, couples therapy actually was not the first um, space that I entered. When I was growing up, I was always fascinated by how to bring all the paradoxical things together, how to make sense of them. I love physics and um, I love philosophy. And it's really interesting because I think both of them have the most relevance and significance to our everyday life. That's just my personal opinion. And from there, I realized that if I really take a step back in any situation and instead of looking at the differences, look at what we have in common as human beings, then I could really help myself and other people to make meaningful connections and hopefully nurture them to become actual meaningful relationships. And I have to say, growing up in Iran post-revolution helped a lot. When I was growing up in it, it didn't feel like it. But uh, but now that I look back, I feel like I owe it everything. You know, I owe my everything, like any wisdom that I might have, any experiences that I have, because you needed to really navigate very deliberately mm-hmm. and intentionally every single interaction, the wrong word out of your mouth 
could have gotten your you know family into trouble or yourself into trouble so i think all of the those and it's really interesting in my 40s i'm just realizing that wow this is why i'm doing what i'm doing mm. <laughs> because you know all of that really prepared me for this and then um the first space that i entered was linguistics actually because i realized that when we talk what it feels like we miss out on each other's meanings and you know like perceptions and um, we get each other confused more than helping the communication. So I thought if I become a good linguist, maybe that helps. And then as I was going through the university, speaking with, you know, like um, friends and family members and stuff, I realized that, wow, people know zilch about sex. Yeah. And nobody is even talking about them. And then I got really interested um, in seeing what words we have. And my father got this dusted rotten books for me from all of these like shabby libraries and as you were turning the pages they would just turn into powder wow like it's like so so old oh. and uh, they were only religious books that were mostly about you know shaming and guilt and you know all of that there were other religious books that talked about how uh, because i was going on uh, in iran mostly we had access to islamic transcripts and the origin of those transcripts how sex positive they were and i was so confused what the hell happened in between so you know who did what who interpreted what for what reason um so that was the piece that got me very interested and i got into research i started working with the academy of medical sciences then i hosted sexuality education workshops underground and, uh, and it was really funny because one day I was in jacuzzi and it was, I was talking to a woman. It was a really weird situation because obviously you're naked there, very vulnerable. And you're talking to this woman and then she said, well, you know, I'm, I just signed up for this woman, Sarah. I hear she has really good workshops. I'm like, yeah, goodbye. Love <laughs> <laughs> And did the next day she saw you up there teaching the class? I don't think she noticed, actually. Oh, I see. Okay. I don't think she noticed it was me. Because you look a little bit different when you're naked, I Yeah, think. especially with and your then, hair up and you don't want it to get wet and you, you look different for yeah, sure in the hot tub, right? yes. <laughs> so that was the kind of beginning of it. And then gradually I got so high up that, you know, I found my way to Ministry of Education and Health and helping them devise their curriculums and everything. But at a certain point, I realized I have no knowledge. What am I doing? So I left. Iran to become more educated in sexuality and sexual health and alongside of it I did couples therapy and then psychosexual therapy sexual medicine then I did research methodology because if you can't do research or interpret research you can't really do much with all the data then I did sexuality education then I did social psychology just to understand you know the context that we bring everything together so overall, it took a lot of paths to bring everything together. So right now, I, I feel like it's really confusing if you look at my CV. But if I want to bring everything together, I would say at the core of whatever I do is human connection. And I really, truly believe that we are the same people in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the community and in the boardroom. So I think that would be a good summary of all of these that, you know, like whatever that you show up as in your intimate relationships, being sex for most people, 
um, that's the same person in the boardroom, you know, ruling so mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. Like, hundreds or thousands of people. Um, and I think that that was the mentality that helped me work in a practical, like a clinical setting, one-on-one and with couples. And um, at the societal level, with the governments, with the media. And um, yeah, so and consult United Nations. So I think, you know, at the core of it is that. That's why it's not confusing for me. Right, right. <laughs> and, and now, and now you, you, after, you know, studying and working in, I don't know how many countries, I think it, you, you said about 20 or 30 different countries. Um, 40. 40. Wow. Okay, you've now, set, <laughs> you've now settled in the beautiful state of California, and you have your little, uh, little pet project there called um, well, the World Sexual Health Day. Tell us a little bit about that and why it's so important to you. Well, World Sexual Health Day actually was born in um, 2010, and it wasn't my project because I am the advisory board member of the World Association for Sexual Health, and I joined them about 18 years ago. I was at the board, and this year I'm actually stepping down after, I think, you know, 17, 18 years, nice. which is bittersweet. But I think it's really interesting because at that board, we decided that, you know how we talk like in academia, we produce great research. We produce like, you know, like all of those. But politicians who make the decisions, they don't know about them. Mm -hmm. They don't have the time to go through pages upon pages of research. And then on the other side of it, the members of public, how do they define sexual health? How many people can you stop in the street and ask them, can you define sexual health for me? And they actually give you accurate answer, you know, so exactly. And that's how it was born that, you know, our um, good president at the time, Dr. Rosemary Coates from Australia, suggested how about an initiative from a professional organization that really targets the public, anybody, anywhere. And then we all voted on. Since then, I took on the biggest events on in North America. First, um, I hosted it in New York with an amazing group of volunteers. And then when I moved here, my dearest friend and colleague, Dr. Inga Hansen at Stanford University said, Sarah, why don't we do it here? So we are collaborating since then. And this year we're going to host it on September 24th. Uh, virtual, free, to your audience, everybody join. You're welcome. Wow, that's great. We just have to look up World Sexual Health Day on the internet and we'll be able to find it there, hosted in Stanford University. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll put a link up on our website okay. as well. Okay, great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, yeah, you have to say World Sexual Health Day North America uh, for this to, for the website to pop up. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, I'll send you the link. Now, a lot of the very important work that you do, which includes some of the research, is with your couples therapy, where you actually have one-on-one therapy. And that's not something that Dave and I have experienced. Uh, And I'm sure there's a lot of our audience who have never experienced couples therapy. So I would like to describe a little bit about the experience that couples could expect if they were going to come to one of your couples therapy um, sessions. So you would like me to talk about mine specifically or in general? Well, whatever information you can advise people and why they need to and who comes to it, why, what kind of problems do you solve? And how, maybe it's how not do you just help if people? you have a problem, maybe if you just want to have a better relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Just give us an overview of how it works. 
Oh, absolutely. So if I may, I would like to go general rather than just myself, because I think um, it's really important, first and foremost, for people to take this stigma out of this. Because one of the when I moved to Northern America, I realized that, especially in the U.S., the degree that people go by is marriage and family therapy. And I actually did that master's degree. And in the whole master's program, we had four modules on couples and it was just reading a book. And, and I was sitting there because after 20 years of doing couples therapy and then I was doing this master's degree in the U.S. And I was sitting there thinking, you must be really courageous after these four modules. Get out there and just sit there and work with people, you know, so to people who are studying to colleagues, future colleagues, current colleagues, I really, really emphasize the power of supervision. It's absolutely essential. It's actually immoral and unethical if you do your work without supervision. I am being honest because people's lives are in your hands. That's one. And many people look at couples therapy as a person that is going to glue you back together. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a couples therapy, they're going to just say, stay married. Or if you're not married, they're going to shame you, you know, like, you know, all of that. That is not the case. In most cases, most cases, um, even the least experienced person knows that you do not bring your um, active judgment to the room. We all have judgment. That's a lie if we say we don't. But uh, we don't bring the active judgment in the room. So whatever that you bring, it's going to be held for you. You're going to be uh, heard. You know, those are the basic skills. Um, so on that note, if you are out there, you're listening to this, here's what I suggest. Step number one, talk to your partner and say that, hey, you know, do you want to just talk to someone? Step number two, look for somebody. If you know a friend, you know you know somebody that you read their books or, you know, watch a TikTok, whatever, that you really like them, if something resonated with you, you can reach out to them. Ask them for maybe 15, 20 minutes of, I call them discovery calls, you know, from the, my training in Process Therapy Institute. I took it away from there that, um, so that you see if you like each other, you know, it's a relationship after all. And we have research to show that if you, if the rela relationship and therapeutic alliance is not there, you can sit with the God of couples therapy. It does not work. Mm, gotcha. So, you know, sometimes I interview people, you know, they interview me, we talk to each other. I'm like, I don't think I'm the best person for you. So it's important, you know, to, to, to take that into account and then make an initial consultation session, maybe go see how it goes and uh, take it from there. And don't wait, please don't wait until you're ready to kill each other and then go to somebody else. I mean, at that point, you really need to see a lawyer, to be honest. <laughs> right, right. Because it really breaks my heart. And I'm sitting here thinking, if you only came to me last year, mm -hmm. just one mm -hmm. year, mm -hmm. you know, I could have, I could have done something. Mm -hmm. So that, 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 that thing, mm -hmm. that, you know, please don't wait. Well, as you know, Dave and I um, are in our second marriages. Both of our first marriages failed. And through our um, our podcast, where we get to talk to all these experts, we always ask ourselves, how come we didn't seek help? And I think back then, I, I really didn't even know 
that there was such a thing as couples therapy. And I'm talking, Let alone sex therapy. I know. And I'm talking like 16 years ago. It's not like I'm talking 30 years ago. Um, and I just really had no idea. And I'm hoping that from these kind of discussions that people can understand that there is help out there. And so, you know, if we can encourage more people who are just having small issues to try to resolve those before they become big issues. And Dr. Sarah, why do you think people don't seek out help and they just sit there and let it fester? Well, it depends. At the base of it, it depends on your conflict management style. Would you like to face it? Would you want to run away from it? Some people don't want to steer the pot. Some people don't know what to expect, as you mentioned. You know, are they going to rip us apart or are they going to glue us together? What is he going to say? Um, you know, lots of surprises that might come up, judgment from people. And may I just also say something else? It's not only couples therapists that can be helpful. There are some religious figures that could be very helpful to people, you know. So please don't think that if you are not um, of a group that could trust the therapist, for example, you don't have help. You can go to a religious leader. You can go to a um, an older member of the family because in some communities, that's how they resolve issues. The fact that you can have somebody non-judgmental be the mediator in between so that you can vent, you can feel heard and seen goes a long, long way. And what about those couples who are or believe they have a good relationship? Um, why should they be seeing a therapist um, if they believe everything's going right? Here's my take on it. You know how, um, I don't know about you, so we moved a lot. We lived in so many different places. Wherever that we went, one of the things that we did, we registered with the GP, like an internist or a you know primary doctor, right? That's exactly what it is. You set your rapport with somebody, like I have couples that I've seen like 17 years ago, and then they just ping me and say, Sarah, you know, there's a question. Can we just hop on the line? You know, I have one session, and then I don't see them for another whatever years. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have that alliance with somebody, I think you you know that if something happens, then you don't go to somebody who is uneducated, who is going to give you biased advice. You have somebody and you don't need to create that connection in a moment of crisis. Right. You have an established rapport. So mm-hmm. that's one. The other thing, um, as maybe today we get into it or not, um, we came up with this inventory that couples can actually assess their relationship every year. And based on that, they actually might think that everything is going really well, but cracks are shaping. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yes, we will be getting into that relationship panoramic when we come back from our break. So let's just take a minute now and remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having an amazing discussion with speaker, author, and couples therapist, Dr. Sarah Nazarzadeh. So stay right there. We won't be long. All right, so here's some exciting news. We are so excited to announce our new partnership with Topless Travel. Topless Travel has been around for many years and puts on the most sexy, fun, and erotic events at some of the world's sexiest venues. From the Bliss Cruises to Desire in Cancun and Hedonism in Jamaica, Topless Travel offers a multitude of new and exciting adventures to stimulate all your desires. We'll have lots more to tell you in our upcoming shows, so stay tuned. For more information about all their open-minded events, simply go to thesexylifestyle.com and book the sexiest vacation ever. 
All right, we're back. This is the Sex Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and now let's get back to this great discussion we've been having with Dr. Sarah, who is an author, an expert in relationships, and um, we're going to get into her checklist right now. Right, the uh, the checklist, which you call your relationship panoramic inventory. Let's get into that and tell us how this tool works and why you use it. <laughs> well, so let me tell you how it was born first, because it quite honestly, was born out of my frustration because um, everybody these days is much busier than before, right? Couple therapy is expensive. So, and I was thinking um, sometimes you can't just rely on people who come and then give you a presenting issue. For example, they come and say, well, you know, we don't have enough sex. Mm -hmm. And that's as much information I get. Then depending on how informed I am and how I can ask questions and how prepared my couples are to provide me with the information, then I, I feel like a computer that, you know, I'm as good as the data you enter. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so it's really important, especially with psychosexual therapy that, you know, I'm actually diagnosing somebody with something. Let's say, for example, erectile dysfunction, lack of sexual desire, you know, yeah. hypersexual. Um, so all of those um, diagnoses without getting too technical. Um, so data matters. And then I had couples that I was sitting there with them, although I separate them, I see them individually as well as couples, really do my best to get as best you know, to the data that I need. Sometimes, somewhere down the line, six sessions down the line, something comes up. I'm like, damn it, I should have known that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that damage situation made me think, and plus the fact that I worked for corporate for a while, mm -hmm. and we had a 360-degree um, review every year. Uh, and 360-degree review is that you send your kind of portfolio to a friend, to a colleague, to your boss, to up, down, you know, as many people as you can to give you a very good idea as what is it that you are doing great, what is it that is kind of mediocre, and what is it that you can develop further, right? We didn't have that for couples. Mm -hmm. And to clarify on that, there are very good tests out there for, for couples. But for me, talking about relationship orientation, sexuality, you know, gender, you know, all of that, thinking style, the things that matter to me most, they were not included in those. Mm -hmm. And the last one was um, validated like about 40 years ago. Right. Uh, I was barely born then. So <laughs> very, you know, so, and they were very helpful to me, by the way. Like, for example, our good colleague, Dr. Gottman, or Enrich, or, um, you know, Prepare, all of these tests that are out there, they've been really helpful to myself, personally, but not enough for my couples. The other thing that I found, attention span of people, pretty short these days. I can't put people to tests that take one hour, two hours. Right. You know, they, they just don't. And then at the end, I can tell. Like, they just check the bus to check the bus. I'm like, really? Yeah. They have no, you know. So it's had to be um, cater, you know, um, to, to all of those. Also, I wanted it to be scientifically validated. Mm -hmm. It was really important to me. I mean, when we deal with the human sciences, it's very difficult to say, you know, two plus two is four. Impossible. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, from one moment to the other, I'm a different person. Yeah. So you can't really, you know, pin it down. But as best as we could. So with relationship panoramic, one of the things that we've done 
was I actually teamed up with my husband, who is a psychometric uh, person, you know, specialist, Dr. Azarmina. Uh, and then, so I provided the content. Here are the things that I would like to know. Here's how we're going to do it. And then he did his magic of the psychometric, and then we validated it. And it's not just one validated inventory, but it is consistent of 12 validated skills within one validated right, scale. Right, right. Yeah. So it was really important to me. Then we piloted it, you know, with the U.S. representative sample. And as I'm talking, it's being translated in different countries and being put in place. Very cool. Wow. So hopefully we have more information. Um, and also we can democratize couple therapy for couples, especially who don't feel like seeing somebody. They yeah. just want to have a checkup point for yeah. themselves. My yeah. husband calls it. My husband is a doctor. So he says it's like a, they're taking an x-ray of the couple there. Right. It's like, true. Yes. 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 Oh, I mean, we did we did the um, the, test. the inventory, the, yeah. the, the checklist. And it was it was very cool. The questions that were asked were um, very um, insightful and made you sit down and think about your relationship and where you are. And I mean, if and you all want different aspects also. And it explained why. You were doing those questions like what? What's the um, the point of it? Which I thought that was very interesting. And you're right; it didn't take long. I'm sure we were done in like 25 yeah, minutes. 15, 25 yeah. minutes yeah, exactly. Like but I mean, we're not going to go through all the results. But I know Dr. Sarah wanted to go over a couple of them, which mm -hmm. stood out. Yeah, because when we did our test individually, which is how you're supposed to do it, then the results went to Dr. Sarah as she came back with the report. So that is a report based on our answers, right? And so yes. it comes automatically. You don't have to do anything. This report is generated from our answers. And then there was some graphs made and uh, we're comparing to the average. So why don't you explain how you compare the couples to the average? Oh, that's a great question, actually. Um, so another thing that I realized, you know, one of the very common, common questions I get from my couples, whatever their issue is, is are we normal? <laughs> right. Where do we fit? Yeah. From all the couples that you see, where do we fit? Like, okay, so if we have the average uh, sample size that we had, you know, in the, um, in our research, if we show, for example, if somebody says quantity of sex is three times a week, right? For a thriving couple. And then my couple says twice a week or say twice a month, you know, then they actually can see it in their report where they fit, so they know that they, they can locate their couple them. Sometimes also it's very hopeful because they think they are doing awfully bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they see, they're like, oh, we're actually average or better than average. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in certain aspects. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I hear you. I, I think, you know, that that would be the cool thing that uh, people can take away from it. And also, I like the fact that we could see if we had the same answers, which sometimes, even if you're only having sex two times a week, if you both want to have sex two times a week, then that's okay. If one wants sex two times a week and the other wants it uh, two times a month, well, then then something's off. So then you'll see a divergent of the couple being far apart. Well, let's, let's hear about what the report said. Well, in our case, <laughs> that's exactly what the report well, said. Well, let's hear about okay, it. Okay, go for it. Okay, so this is like um, almost 30 pages of report, right? Yeah. And uh, I am going to go through the ones that stood out to me. And please let me know if something doesn't make sense. Sure. One of the things that I picked out from here, as we are talking about your sex life specifically, um, you were asked about the productive parts of the day. So meaning that, you know, um, 
which part of the day is has most of your energy, right? And it's interesting because we have early mornings and mornings for one of you and afternoons and evenings for one of you. I'm the morning person. <laughs> and I'm the afternoon person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that could actually create a little bit of a discrepancy. So when somebody, you know, when I look at the profile and see the sex, a little bit of a disparity in the quantity or the quality of sex, I immediately go to that. Right. Like, okay, so what are we doing here? So meaning that in the morning, I have really good direction. I want Carol. I have, I'm, you know, full of energy. And then Carol's like, I don't even think of that. Right. That's where we are. And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and then at night, See, he's asleep watching TV. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm awake or not because he's he's asleep no, before I wake we up, get to bed. I wake up with the hardest cocks in the morning and you're still like sleeping. Oh, yeah. And you can't. He's not allowed. And to she still up. she even has to have a coffee before she even yeah, looks at yeah. me. And I'm like, hey, I'm ready to go. And but we have worked on that. And we have found that mid afternoon right before like, or right after David's afternoon nap is the best time for us. <laughs> like three o'clock. I love my afternoon naps. Yeah, exactly. So we have worked on it and we have resolved that that's the way, that's when we have our great sex is in the afternoons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. So early afternoons, I will be thinking about you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we work from home, so we are able to take these afternoon breaks, right? So it's all good. <laughs> That's wonderful. So that's one of those things. And you talked about sleep. We can talk about that forever. Don't you ever wake up each other. That's a bad idea. But we'll, we, we can talk in another time. Um, okay, so that was one part that stood out to me. The other part that I have to say you're very compatible in is your thinking styles. The thinking styles, what it means to me as the couples person is when I want to design homework for you, I have to consider your thinking styles. So in this case, for the two of you, I can say, for example, if you have a very sensitive topic to talk about, can you please take a walk and then go out? Because both of you ranked really high in facilitation thinking style, meaning that if something else is going on and you're having this conversation, you're more focused. Interesting. So if you are walking... I wonder if there's any truth in that. You tell me. Uh, I don't know, but I think it's a good uh, option. We um, we usually sit in a specific area in our house in the front room and we sit and talk. But I think mm -hmm. walking would also be something very good to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When we go for drives, we talk. We're always talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. So one of the reasons that probably also sitting down and talking works well is that you both ranked pretty high. Uh, actually, in three of them, the highest, both of you completely equal. And in one of them, one of you just want to score down. So you're pretty compatible in any time that you want to reach out to each other and bring out a concept. But for many of my couples, that's not the case. Yeah. So they think differently. Um, and that's why I think it's very important when couples learn about each other's thinking style, they don't say, oh, let's go on a date night. And then the date night is a disaster because they're having dinner and one of them is so distracted with the ambience. And, you know, and then the other one is trying to have a conversation about, you know, like something really serious yeah. or important for the couple of them. And that doesn't go well. Right. So these are the ones that, you know, so I think... Um, that, that was one of the strengths in your relationship. Cool. Now, the other thing that stood out to me was the conflict or crisis management style. Yes. So 
avoidance and withdrawal, taking time to analyze the situation first. That's me. <laughs> and on the other side, reaching, uh, I mean, reacting with emotions such as anger or tears, and taking time to analyze the situation first and becoming defensive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is one of the things that um, would be really important for the two of you to realize is how to approach each other in those moments. One is for the, uh, for the person who withdraws and for the person who reacts, right? I'm going to leave you with four things that th these are, by the way, this could be a little bit overwhelming. Please don't put them in place just right there and then put them on the fridge or something practice them so they become second nature one is if you feel annoyed or uncomfortable at any given moment that that comes first usually usually annoyed or uncomfortable and many of us especially people who are trained competitive um, sport or trained uh, to work long at uh, trained many of us are long hours we actually ignore those signals the first signals of annoyance and you know discomfort um the other thing that you might feel is feeling offended and carol i suspect that if you feel defensive that's one of your prominent ones yes that you know you feel offended yes you're offended uh, which also corresponds with another piece in your inventory that I saw, that um, the piece about respect, feeling respected, is mm -hmm. a little bit lower for you. Mm -hmm. okay. That general feeling that you have compounded mm -hmm. with this feeling in those split, in like, you know, interactions, then that actually pushes you. Oh, okay. Um, you feel kind of defensive, right? So offended. The other one is triggered, going from the moment of zero to 100. You know, we all have those trigger points. You know, if you say that, I'm a flame. Yeah. I don't even see, you know. And then the other one is hurt. If something done or said or, you know, whatever, and I'm hurt. If you master and get connected to the part of body that signals you to any of these and be able to name it, you're 50% done with mm -hmm. the conflict resolution. So if you're feeling, so if I'm feeling offended, I should then um, be aware of it and I should mention it to the person who's offended me? Yeah. Just saying that, not that, you know, you offended me, but like, oh, I, I feel offended. Uh, okay. Okay. Just that it's in the dynamic. I feel offended. And okay. then the other person's choice become, oh, I, I, you know, so, so tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Which part of it was offensive? Mm -hmm. Are they backtracking or, you know, explaining, making it a little bit better? The reason I differentiate it that way is because if you think about discomfort and annoyance, if you think about, of, you know, being offended, being um, triggered and hurt, any of those make you show up differently. Mm -hmm. If I'm hurt, I'm going to show up differently mm -hmm. than when I'm triggered. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know? Very interesting. Yes, absolutely. I get it completely. So these are the ones that I think, you know, if you start with yourself, your neuroceptions and, you know, how you perceive, you know, everything around you and really translate it into your bodily language, that will be helpful. Huh. And they translate directly into your sexual connection. You're right. Mm-hmm. Because the body keeps all of those scores. Mm -hmm. If your body offended me, mm -hmm. it's not that if David offended right, me. Right, right. 
that body in front of me offended me. How dare you think that we could be intimate? Mm -hmm. No. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that part of it. One of the very good ways to come together after a conflict, to bring your bodies together, because as a, as a couple who have really good conversations with each other, you connect intellectually well with each other. Yeah. It's really important to keep the connection between your bodies too. After the fight or argue or disagreement or all of those tearful situations or you know what not, you will come together. But do your bodies too? Ah, interesting. Often not. Ah. One of oh. the things that you can do. Yeah. Oh, you were going to ask me how? No, no, I was no. going to say when Carol and I have a fight, she doesn't even want a kiss, a hug, nothing. No. She needs like hours to. So just... he's told, he tells everybody that I'm not into makeup sex. It's Ever. not my thing. No. Now you can see no. why. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something about the makeup sex because. Anatomically speaking, men have the object for push, just anatomically, completely objectification, right? And women, female bodies, have object to receive. Right. If you think about the host and guest scenario, if the host doesn't feel that they want to have the guest over, they're annoyed by them or, you know, whatever, they don't feel safe with them, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's one of those that happens in this scenario. For some people, it works, but for many people, especially women, it doesn't work. But I, what I was going to suggest was this: based on your portfolio, um, Carol, you need the space. Mm -hmm. One of the things that will happen is you need to call it out. Any of you that you feel like you know you need to withdraw. Also, David, you said you will kind of withdraw, and you need to think about it, right? Um, whoever that realizes that first, you call it out. You say, oh, I'm not actually sure this is productive. You know, where, where is this going? But then if without doing that, just walk away, it makes the situation way worse. So you first name it that, you know, I'm not quite sure if this is going anywhere and put it on you. I'm not sure if I'm as productive as I want to be here. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what is happening. You know, I'm pretty triggered right now or, you know, like wind up right yeah. now um can we come back to this and this is the piece that people miss can we come back to this like in 20 minutes can we talk about this after dinner can we talk about this on our sunday walk a specific time and then the person who called it out is has the responsibility to come back and bring up the topic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting yeah, absolutely yeah. wow very interesting yeah, we actually usually do say, no, we can't talk about it right now. Uh, we'll have to talk about it. Later. Or we usually say, are we ever going to talk about this thing? You know, like, yeah, sure. Let's talk about it right now if time has passed. And so, yes, um, I, I like that idea that fixing a time to get back to it and resolve it and get it off our chest. Because when we're feeling the way in that aggravated moment, it's the worst feeling ever. It's the last thing I want to do with the person who I love, who's my best friend, is be so angry that I can't even talk to him right now. And we're not talking about big things. I mean, or often, it's not like we have a fight every day. We have a fight maybe once a year, twice a year, something comes up and looking into why we were triggered. And that's usually what, once we start talking, we figure out the why. And, you know, in the end of the day, we make a pact to try to do better and 
sometimes that little fight turns into uh, a resolution of something that never comes back again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you can do uh, just to finish the cycle on the body yeah. is after having that conversation, sit back to back, just feel it, no words. Just breathe together so that your bodies feel safe uh-huh. and try, you know, be able to regulate each other again. I'm safe with this body. It's okay. It's yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, because then it feels like, you know, your body has to follow your um, kind of thinking. Right, right, right. Your right. That cognitive makes, mind, yeah. which is not fair. Right. No. <laughs> so, your, your yeah. so this inventory thing is really uh, brings out the issues to you so that you can, as a therapist, focus on the things. And for us, which you said we are have so much compatibility, and yet you still found things that could be improved, obviously. Let, let's talk about the last one, oh, which yeah. I want to hear oh, about, sure, which exactly. is the, the sexual... Incompatibility. Co- right. Right. Let's do that last one. Okay. I wouldn't actually call it incompatibility okay. because, uh, but just my choice of words, you know, I usually call them just disparity mm-hmm. or kind of, you know, so, so that there in that gap becomes our chance to work on it. So the frequency mm-hmm. that David, you want, do, do you want to talk about what you put yeah. there? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay. So what stood out to the two of you when you were looking at your report in this section? I I thought that I answered the questions according to me, and I'll just clarify that at this particular time in my life, I am struggling with my hormone, my new hormone therapy right now, and my libido is very low. So I knew that I had to reflect that idea in the report um, until my libido gets back up, and hopefully within the next six months, this new therapy is going to work for me, and it'll get back to where it used to be. At the same time, I know David's frustration because he's not getting the sexual frequency that he was looking for. Got you. So first and foremost, I want to debunk a myth about as we get older, sexuality dulls or, you know, whatever that is out there. Because one of my very good colleagues and friends, respected colleague, Dr. Peggy Klein-Plants, actually from Canada, and she just wrote a book, Magnificent Sex, and she talks about how most of the people that they interviewed above 50 uh, they talked about how they had the best sex of their lives ever just because they know their bodies, they're more comfortable, they're more at peace, you know, in their own skin and all of that. So sex after you figure out the hormones, again, you know, the biological piece and all of that and physiological piece, then it becomes certain behavioral changes around that to still have the continuity and the consistency of the sexual satisfaction that the two of you want. But one thing that I can give the two of you and any couple that is out there, which is, by the way, um, the most complaint that I receive as a couple's person, like sexual therapist, discrepancy in desire, right? For whatever reason. One of the things that I tell my couples is that you need to have a sexual menu as a couple. Okay, so for example, when you talk about frequency and also quality, but mostly frequency, we fall into the trap that every time that you're together, it requires the same efforts, the, the same foreplay, the same script, um, you know, from the beginning to the end. And both parties have to be mutually included. And, you know, like, and I hate this term, simultaneous orgasm. <laughs> so I, I have scientific reason behind it, but that's beside the point. 
So, you know, that, you know, a lot of expectations for sex, you know, but then if you have a menu there, so let's say, David, you go to um, a Carol and say, you know, I'm so hungry uh, for a full gourmet sex, whatever that means to you, you know, because it's defined differently for different people. And Carol comes and says, that, yeah, you know what, I'll be happy with the biscuit and tea. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it becomes a conversation rather than one person goes, gets rejected, and then resentment builds, and then the other person feels guilty, you know? So that part, but before you get to that point of asking each other or being there or, you know, rejecting or, you know, whatever all of that means, just sit together as a couple and mm-hmm. say, hey, by the way, what would be on our sexual menu? Well, like kind of, I always say, hey, what do you feel like eating for dinner tonight? I say, hey, what do we have in the fridge? Let's see, let's let's pick this and that and make something good. So it could be that kind of light conversation. What kind of sex do you feel like having today? Oh, I'm kind of in the mood for just lying back and taking it all. How about you? Well, I feel like lying back and taking it all. So we laugh. Okay, so well, that's not going to happen. So what can we do instead? And that's the kind of conversation you're suggesting before you even get into bed, before you even stop what you're doing and and get romantic. Exactly. Exactly. That's very That's cool. really important. Just to take the pressure out of it is not a big deal. Sex is not a big deal. Right. You know, it's like either this... Um, I'm going to use a very street word. <laughs> but it's like a... You know, I don't even know if it make, makes any meaning in them. Um... English because I borrow from so many languages I don't even like but it's like a hanky panky yeah you know like those, yeah. those sort of situation like it's either that or very sleazy and sassy or you know seductive or uh, this heartfelt romantic you know whatever yeah, really on the menu see what's there that's and then a very just go good there. idea like you say well we haven't had Chinese for a long time let's have Chinese food tonight and like that's probably going to be as easy as that. I think we got to try this, David. Okay. Yeah. But there are also those moments where I just want to be surprised and you do something. Well, then you would say, "Hun, I don't know whatever you're going to make for supper tonight. Just surprise me with something exciting or delicious." All right. Right? There are certainly nights when I'm too tired to cook tonight, David. You're going to you're going to cook just bring me something, whatever it might be, you okay. know? There's we can have those kind of discussions or, with food. Or I might just want to take you out. Yes. <laughs> and then neither yes. of us have to cook. And that's when we go to the sex club and we just go, do me, do me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I think we definitely have to try something but like I, that. But I like, I like the concept of having this open discussion about what's good for us, not what's good for you and what's good for me. Right. I know. I mean, we still, even when we cook dinner at night, we always say, hey, you know, we compromise no matter what you feel like and what I feel like. And then it's, of course, limited by the amount of food or the different types of food we have in the fridge. Yeah, we have to stop eating hot dogs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I have to tell you, the only rule I have around this sexual menu stuff is that both of you, no matter what, you have to walk away satisfied. Uh-huh. I'm not talking about ejaculation, orgasm. I'm not talking about that. Walk away satisfied, whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get it. That's the only rule. Yeah, yeah. And we can share with each other what is satisfying 
you know, you can make a whole meal and only eat part of it because I wasn't in the mood for the rest or I'm full now and I, I, I can't finish anymore. So, but we can say that so easily at a dinner table. And it's harder to say that in bed with your partner whom you love and you don't want to hurt and you don't want them to feel bad. So I really like this analogy that you're talking about with a menu and the way that we chat and discuss how, what we're going to eat today and tonight. And, and we're always trying to eat the healthiest choices as well. So I would say that we should choose the better quality sexual things as well too yes however if you're giving me a blowjob yeah okay i don't want you just going halfway i want you to <laughs> all the way down on my car well then you have to say that <laughs> okay i've said that and you're pretty good at it i too. know exactly but we should apologize because sometimes dr sarah doesn't want to get into the crude yeah. words yeah. that okay. we use on our show <laughs> we're so used to the it doesn't it doesn't really matter i you know when i sit with my couples uh they're from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of lives and you know and Sometimes I come up with my own words and they laugh so hard they forget what they were talking about. <laughs> Sometimes so, you know, we that, do too. That's the whole purpose of it. You know, keep it light and whatever that is meaningful to you. Right. So exactly. that's part of not being judgmental. Well, thank you very much for all that advice. We're going to take it to heart. We're going to try it out and we're going to let you know how it worked. But we're just going to take a second right now to just remind everybody that we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And as you know, we're having an amazing discussion with Dr. Sarah Nazarzadeh. And coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, a shout out to one of our other show sponsors. So stay right there. Absolutely. You guys know we love going to Hedonism 2 at in Jamaica, it's one of our favorite places to hang naked on the beach, and it is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like. And believe it or not, Hito's been there for 40 years. This year, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary on October 30th to November 6th. So come and join us for a week. And for all the information you need, go to thesexylifestyle.com, click on the Hito link, and book the sexiest vacation and most erotic trip ever. And of course, if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, go to sdc.com and you can use promo code 30314 to get your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. Alrighty. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show. However, today's show, my favorite part of the show was the last segment <laughs> because I think um, it was a great discussion that we had with um, how to have a menu of sexual variety in uh, what we want to do and how we want to do it. But it's the part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So one of the things I'd like to get into in this sex segment here, Dr. Sarah, is the difference between sexual chemistry and sexual harmony. Yeah, the first time I said that, I think it was a big thing interview. So we published this book, Orgasm Answer Guide, about, I don't know, like more than a decade ago. And then I was going to be interviewed for that. But in the green room, as I'm talking to the producer, um, and I said, look, you know, I really don't believe in sexual chemistry in a long-term relationship. And she said, you know what? Do you mind if you feel that instead of that? <laughs> I said, not sure. So here's my idea around it. One of the things that I realized is a lot of my couples come to me and say, I love this person, but I'm not in love with them. And not speaking English as my first language, I was actually really confused. And I was like, what is this word love? That, you know, you use it like lovemaking, loving, in love, love, what, what, what are we talking about here? And everybody assumes that we know what the other person is talking about, right? 
Then I realized that when they say that, it means that sexual chemistry is not there anymore. If they say I'm not in love with this person anymore. So they link it together. And I'm like, that added to my confusion for sure. And then I went on to put things together. So that's one of the reasons that um, I went to do this research called Emergent Love Model Research. So basically, I went back in my notes that I take after each session that I have with my couples, I take notes for myself. I write reflections, what worked, what didn't work, you know, all of that. So I went through that and I devised the research based on Graham theory. What it is is you go through a huge amount of text and then you see the patterns that are emerging. You put them together, put the words together until nothing new is emerging, right? And then you decide that, ooh, out of all of these accounts, for me, you know, like it was um, more than 300 couples that worked with me personally. And the criteria that I put was they had to be my couples for a year so that I have a good understanding as what's going on in the couple them and I have a good amount of content. Then I went through all of that and then certain words popped out. For, for example, compassion, empathy, shared vision, physical attraction, you know, none of them talked about love as much. None of them talked about, so this was really interesting to me that, you know, this is a long-term relationship study and these couples are subjectively talking about we are satisfied in our couple them. And then I checked back with them and I had 70% rate responses from my couples from all over the years for the past 20 years. And I said, look, you know, here's what I'm understanding of what we discussed. Does that resonate? Anything that you would like to add? Based on that, I put all of it together and then came up with this model that instead of thinking that love is at the bottom of an upside-down triangle and the rest will follow, actually, it's the other way around. Everything else is there. Love is an emergent entity. Mm. So that was the differentiation. Now, within that, the way that I describe sexual chemistry versus sexual harmony is that. So how could you be in a long-term relationship and then keep that? I, I think you talk to people about how to live a horny life, mm -hmm. right? So horny is that, that, you know, you can still have access to that eros, to that um, Desire. sense of wanting, mm -hmm. exactly, desire and wanting for the person. Mm -hmm. that you're with, mm -hmm. you know, because it's very easy to go and find a new person and to do that with, you know, right. that sense of novelty for the brain. So sexual chemistry for me visually is like a sharp orange spark. We, many of us went to chemistry classes, right? And we did volcanoes at the age of six right. or seven. You put the thing, it's so magical, right? It's like, oh my God, but that's it. Oh my God, I'm done, you know? So that's ah, done. Yeah. And my good colleague, Dr. Helen Fisher, has researched, and also other colleagues in Milan, you know, other colleagues around the world, had done research that shows within average of two years, that feeling will die no matter what. So it really fizzles out. Now, sexual harmony, on the other hand, whether you had that sexual chemistry at the beginning or not, could be created. And to me, that's a rainbow color. Mm, nice. So that in a moment of time that one of those is running low, is diluted, other colors can come help you. 
Gotcha. You know, those connections. That sexual harmony, that attunement, that when you are with the other person, you're so present. It's as if you leave your body. You know, it's as if you are, it's just that moment, you know, for you. Right. Whoever that you're sharing it with, you know, so these are the ones that, you know, over a long term, I say sexual harmony for long term relationships and sexual chemistry is just one of, you know, fling and mingle that, you know, people have. And that's absolutely fine. But with the emergent love model, what we found was sexual chemistry was not a thing. Physical attraction was very so physical attraction takes over from that chemistry that you feel, like the tingling, the butterflies, that honeymoon phase where you're you want you can't get enough of each other sexually, and then that fizzles out. And you're saying that sexual, uh, physical attraction takes over, takes in charge of the next phase. Well, yes. If I may put it in a, in another language. Sexual chemistry is, in a way, um, sexual chemistry is that butterfly that you are describing, right. right? That's actually pretty unsettling. If you feel that for a person that you are going to have a long-term relationship with, be a little bit worried. Okay. Because it means that they actually activated your nervous system, uh-huh. which there is a reason behind it, you know? So of your childhood, of um, everything your body experienced in life. Uh Physical attraction on the other side mostly is socially defined, socially constructed. And there is a reason that a person from, for example, Scandinavia might be more attracted to a Scandinavian person versus Middle Eastern. Right. You know, or vice versa. And I'm not saying that, you know, everybody is like that. But um, it's socially, physical attraction is socially constructed. There's a huge element of intellect in it, the physical attraction. Um, so all of these things that, you know, people talk about my body type, you know, so those things are physical attraction that you feel like, well, you know, the way that they move their body, move in this space, the way that they handle their body at the presence of my body or the aesthetic of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you were talking about the upside down triangle, you talked about um, there, there's five pieces that go in there. One of them is the sexual, physical attraction, compassion, empathy, compatibility, shared vision and respect. And all of that together leads you to love. Is there one piece in there that's more important than the other to, to get to that love? Or do they all have no. to work together? No, they all have to work together. That's a great, great question. They all have to be there for that love to emerge and they are really non-negotiables if you talk about like even in your relationship as wonderful evolving and closely knit that the two of you are with really intentional communication because of those two compassion and respect the disparity between giving and receiving that between the two of you that could lead to so many like little tensions Mm -hmm. in your relationship Mm -hmm. um so those are the ones that I would say, no, there is no uh, compromise in that. Right. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Wow. This has been an amazing discussion. I know it was a lot about our our test and our inventory, but it was very enlightening for us. And we're going to have to end the show shortly because we already have passed our hour. But we like to leave our audience with some advice, some final advice. What would you say would be the top two things that a couple could do to increase their connection in order to have a stronger relationship? I would say don't act with empathy. Lead with compassion first. 
because if the person comes to you and that's one of the disconnects that I see in my couples most of the times that they come in sexual connection funny enough empathy goes first it's really important because you want that attunement you know you're regulating each other's nervous system and all of that in long-term relationships but in um, in everyday life if you are empathizing with each other too much you feel with the person so they can't really they have to be your rescuer mm-hmm. they can't come to you to mm-hmm. complain or to vent to kind of come to you for comfort right because you go down with them. Uh, so I would say compassion, be there for them. So it's not about you, it's about actually the other person. That would be one thing that I would say. The other one is check your facts. Like, you know, where did you receive information about love, sex, relationships? And what do you know that you wish you didn't? Mm, interesting. And share you that know, with your I, partner? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Can I add a third one? Sure, absolutely. Because <laughs> there's one that my couples do, and that's so bad. So in, in one of the things that I hear, depending on the culture, is that you talk about everything with each other. That's a bad idea. You need to water your relationship. You cannot flood the relationship. Huh. And that's, I leave you with that. Okay, well. Can I ask one bonus question? Sure, go for it. And, you know, it's a question that we get from our vanilla friends all the time who are 25, 30 years into their marriage saying, you know, my sex life, it's okay. And if we don't have sex, it's okay. So the question I have to end the show is how important is sex to relationships? My first and wisest answer is it depends on the couple and what they hold as important because there are different types of intimacies in couple dance, right? One of them is sexual intimacy. However, on the physiological side of it, I would say it's pretty important because especially if they are, you're, you're saying vanilla, so I don't know, vanilla means also monogamous, yes. but it's really important <laughs> if they are exclusive and monogamous with each other, it's important if they can to keep that part alive. It's, it's really important because it will impact the way your trigger points, your threshold for pain, your uh, health, your physical health, your relational health. The way that uh, the lens through which you see the partner will be different. We have research on all of these. That um, couples who have regular sex, it doesn't matter if your regular sex is three times a day or like a one times a month. But if you have regular, consistent kind of body-to-body connection of sexual nature, um, that's important. And let alone the dopamine and endorphin and oxytocin, all of that good hormones, serotonin that you get through that encounter. Right. So I would say it's pretty important. Even if you don't experience, you know, kind of intercourse or kind of you know, hardcore sex with each other, but ha- experience sexual pleasure at each other's presence and keep that close. Wow. Beautiful. What a great way to end another amazing show. Dr. Sarah, thanks so much for all that great information. Why don't you take a minute and tell everyone out there how they can find you online, social media, your work, your website. Sure. Did you just Google my name, Sarah Nasserzadeh, and uh, and I'm active on Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter, not much, but it's easy to find me. I'm out there perfect and of <laughs> so course my website this is my 
Beautiful. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information, and you can even contact them directly there. Absolutely. And like we did today, we're learning more and more every week from all our expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Like I've said about seven times on today's show, that was uh, one of our most amazing, informative, educational shows with a fantastic guest. Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You're delightful. Thank you so much. And as we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.